Welcome to this edition of Rail Group on Air, the podcast series brought to you by Railway Age, Railway Track and Structures, and International Railway Journal. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief, William C. Vantuono. Our sponsor for this podcast is Trinity Rail, the premier provider of rail transportation products and services. With rail car leasing, manufacturing, maintenance parts, and innovative services such as Trinsight, Trinity Rail provides solutions to meet any need. Call 1-800-631-4420 or go to www.trinityrail.com for more information. Trinity Rail is built to deliver. Well, by this time, we are well-versed in the ongoing merger saga of the uh, Canadian Pacific and the Kansas City Southern and the counteroffer that is currently on the table by CN. My guests for this podcast are Keith Creel, the President and CEO of Canadian Pacific and our 2021 Railroader of the Year, Mark Redd, the Executive Vice President Operations at Canadian Pacific, and John Brooks, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Canadian Pacific. Keith, uh, it's been an interesting few weeks. Uh, you, you've hit a couple of important milestones with uh, with the merger application. You had the waiver approved uh, for uh, for doing this merger under the uh, pre under the older rules, uh, the exemption, and also you have the voting trust. Uh, so that's it, it, it's been uh, uh, a couple important milestones. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a very busy couple of weeks, but uh, yes, in the middle of the challenges uh, to get the news from the STB that what we had anticipated and what we believed very strongly about, which is our deal and the simplicity of our deal and the pro-competitive, pro-service nature, because it is unique in that it is the only combination in class one space that is truly end-to-end, uh, that the STB has recognized those same facts, which are undeniable and uh, result in, in a ruling that says that uh, we do have a path to deal certainty, uh, given that we, our trust can be approved um, as an independent trust. And obviously, we'll go through the same fulsome review of the facts during the merger review process once it's submitted. Uh, but there certainly is a path to bring in these two wonderful companies together, which is very clear and undeniable. Now, uh, uh Generally, it's it's thought that uh, uh, you know if this go, if and when this goes through, it uh, would be the approval would come sometime in 2022. You see that happening maybe a little sooner. Well, I, w- I wouldn't say that. I would say that I'm very pleased um, and appreciative of the fact that the STB has you know considered our application in a very timely fashion. I think you know you, you could not criticize the time they've taken, nor could you criticize the thoroughness that they've gone through, especially, you know, with the full review that they applied to the trust consideration. Uh, But with that said, the timing, although they have not issued a schedule yet uh, that would validate our expectations, our expectations remain on a path to getting this approved uh, and coming out as a pro forma company sometime mid 2022. We think that's certainly within the realm of possibility. Do you have uh, any any sense of uh, the what the Canadian government might uh, how, might consider this? Uh, you know, especially bringing CN into the mix. Uh, uh, you know, you have two two companies uh, part of the Canadian culture and uh, suddenly getting bigger and becoming a, a, a transnational. I think obviously CN and CP um, from a Canadian perspective, they're extremely proud of the two railways. It's undeniable to look at our track records and the strength that the two companies represent. So that's a great thing. Uh, I would suggest and think that having two stronger railroads uh, would be more preferable, hard to argue with. And I think that our outcome, our preferred outcome allows that to exist. You know, you've got uh, one railroad of the two that's quite a bit larger. They're not twice as large, but close to that. Uh, So to have parity, uh, to create uh, two strong railroads that drive investment, that drive competition, that cause each other to compete aggressively to provide better service and more reliable service and appropriately market price service to, to customers. I think that's in the nation's best interest. And I think uh, Canada would look at that proudly. 
Now, you, uh, as, as we discussed uh, only a few short months ago uh, when, uh, when we talked about uh, uh, your, your career, and of course, when you're, uh, you're, you're our reigning railroader of the year, <laughs> uh, you took special efforts to really uh, preserve and, and enhance the culture of Canadian Pacific. You did things with the with the logo, so so the company's culture is really really important. How are you going to how are you going to preserve that? I mean, the, the the name, of course, will be the Canadian Pacific name will will exist under you know C, uh, CP. Boy, it doesn't roll off the tongue real fast. CPKC, uh, Kansas City name, of course, continues. But how will you maintain that that CP culture or the or the CP identity? Well, I think the first point is the identity of Canadian Pacific is tied to the country. That's undeniable. It's a com- company that uniquely helped create the country as we know it today. Uh, that's never going to change. And, you know, our commitment to that history, our commitment to that connection is cemented in our pr- proposed transactions, stating that our corporate headquarters, our world headquarters will remain in Calgary. That's not going to change. Um, but that said, and that addressed the thought of Canadian Pacific being, you know, sort of the trendsetter. If we think about it, it's a railroad that connected a country now to be the railroad that we believe would drive the last spike to connect three countries, to connect a full continent, to create, um, you know, untold positive benefits of new commerce, new markets, new competitive options, uh, pro-growth, pro-employment. You know, that's something that I think is unique it's uniquely, I think, enabled through our transaction. There really are no losers. It's, it's all winners. And to be able to suggest that about any combination, especially in a lot of the history of all the railroad, recent histories of railroad consolidation, is something that we're extremely proud of. And our employees see the same thing. Labor sees the same thing, Bill. You know, the, to think about a world where you've got a consolidation where labor supports you, where they see the same opportunity for job growth for strength in the combination, as we do, uh, to me is pretty compelling in and of itself and says a lot. Um, So again, across the board, a lot to be proud of. It's gonna be hard work. We're gonna have to work hard to get it done, but I think at the end of the day, we will. And you're gonna see a combined Canadian Pacific, Kansas City Railway that have like cultures, they have like histories and pride and grit and determination. We've been the two smallest coming together, still would be the smallest of all the class ones, but I think the most materially important into the growth of the nations combined together on the backbones of USMCA uh, that would create a history that we all can be proud of for the rest of our lives. John Brooks, uh, Keith had just mentioned about uh, business development. growth, marketing opportunities. What are some of those opportunities you see with this, this combination? Yeah, you know, Bill, it, um, <clears throat> it's super exciting to talk about because this um, combination, maybe unlike others, is, is truly a growth story. It's um, certainly, uh, we will capitalize on the learnings operationally and, and, and certainly uh, the PSR will be part of it as it's embedded in our culture and, and also, you know, KCS is on their journey. This is around converting the end-to-end connections of these, these two networks and then really taking those products and overlaying them in the marketplace. I, I really look across all the business units, our, our agricultural franchise that you know is, is so rich with origination but it's, it's maybe been a little bit of poor on, on destination outlets. Now the, this combination creates a golf outlet. It creates a, a processing outlet uh, to the chicken feeders uh, and other processors on the KCS and certainly opens up a direct route into Mexico, um, which is, you know, as I've talked to and, and spent time with uh, the elevators and farmers in in North Dakota and Minnesota and Wisconsin and Iowa and South Dakota and and frankly, even Northern Missouri, um, the the excitement they have around bringing that new market optionality into this uh, direct line haul um, is pretty pretty compelling. And again, I think as Keith said, 
unmatchable with any other rail combination that's that's out there. Um, you know, I, I can quickly jump to uh, the intermodal opportunity. Uh, I think mm -hmm. to the link, you know, the, the industrial production of, of northern Mexico with with Texas and then you know, up into Kansas City and Chicago and Minneapolis and Toronto to, you know, emulate and create a product like we did in, in Intermodal for, for CP, but, but doing it spanning three countries, uh, providing a, another consistent, reliable service um, in, in that part of the world. I think there's a, there's a great, I think, share opportunity in terms of giving customers optionality, Bill, but but there's a great truck off the road opportunity that I think sits out there, out there too. So we really, um, I, I, we could do a full podcast, just you and I on all, all these opportunities. I think I could take up, fill up a couple hours at least, but uh, the, the ag we, we, we might have to break it up into a series. <laughs> we, we, we could do that. <laughs> yeah. You get John talking about ag. He talks a lot. So it would require a series bill. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we could do one just with that. When when we talk about Mexico, uh, particularly in the northern part of the country, uh, you know, near shoring comes into that manufacturing uh, being converted from uh, overseas. You know, on the, on, the, on the Pacific Rim coming back to North America, uh, a lot of it in Mexico, but also also the U.S. and Canada. So. Uh, um, so something, something like this combination you think would, uh, would be able to capitalize on, on that, that trend? I think creating a network that allows a decision maker that may work for a particular company that has, you know, they've outsourced their supply chain to be able to bring it back and control uh, their supply chain and place it on North American soil uh, tied to the benefits of this network. I think it's undeniably compelling. Um, to create this in the absence of this and obviously you know you don't you're not able to have access in a very unique way single line serve to any other railroad uh, and to serve literally all the key markets across all three nations uh, again it's extremely extremely unique you know customers are we're feeling the frustration across the globe right now around you know these supply chains that were 30 to 60 days long and the, the notion, I, I know a lot of the Canadian retailers and those customers are, are excited about the idea of being able to take that supply chain from 30 to 60 days to essentially two weeks or, or 20 days. And uh, to be able to produce barbecue grills in, in, in Mexico and in, in either truck them or truck them and intermodal them, you know, up into, up into Canada, the upper Midwest, I, I think this transformation is, is only started, we're in the early innings of this story. Mark, I want to talk a bit about uh, some of the operational aspects here. It's an end-to-end -end connection. You and your counterparts at, uh, at KCS uh, have been, have been lo looking at the railroad and looking to see where uh, maybe some improvements or enhancements uh, can be made. Uh, what can we look to as far as uh, maybe... Uh, capital projects. So Bill, really, um, I mean, KCS has been on a PSR journey for a couple of years now. So that's, I mean, frankly, that's the good news for CP. Um, so when we come in and step into uh, the railroad, once we get our hands on it, uh, we can certainly um, help with um, uniting the two railroads together with synergies, meaning train movements through Kansas City. Currently, we, we both work in Kansas City in the same terminal. So we have a joint agency there. Keith and I had some uh, had some time there and we, we spoke about uh, a couple of PSR opportunities just within the yard itself with capital projects. But, you know, with that said, I mean, it's all about service between Kansas City and through Kansas City to get down to Mexico. So when we talk about, um, uh, you know, when we talk about a hump yard at St. Paul, it's literally marshalling cars in, in, in uh, Canada humping at St. Paul. The next destination that we can see is certainly down in Mexico in a yard to uh, sort and then take into the uh, final destination. Um, you know, the good news is, Bill, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but, um, you know, I've worked for KCS for 20 years. Um, so we know, yes. we understand the yards, we understand some of the, um, um, some of the bottlenecks they may have, and they've been working through those opportunities. And the good thing for us is we can, we can help and support in that area with service design and, and locomotives, how we share locomotives, and just build a better railroad through our PSR principles. 
which we're both down the same path. Getting down uh, to Mexico, specifically to to uh, the, the Laredo border crossing, which is the biggest, uh, uh, that can get a little complex. Uh, you, you've got you've got to get over the UP for a certain amount of trackage, not not all that much. Uh, any feel for for how that that might be improved? Yeah, I mean the good news is uh, KCS has put some some money in on the uh, on the south end of that railroad down toward Brownsville. And I mean, you're literally talking about 50 miles of trackage rights on the south end. Mm-hmm. You have a little less in a crew district just to get through Houston. But if you talk about Houston, you're talking about directional running. You're talking about double track. So you can get through Houston pretty quick. And, um, you know, KCS built that uh, Rosenberg line probably, I would say, about 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And yes. uh, certainly very beneficial to get off of that, um, that route that was just west of Rosenberg to speed up that traffic, to speed up the time to get across the railroad. So, you know, with the implementation of international crews that the KCS has put on at the bridge, um, at some point here soon, from what we hear, is they'll do away with their, their windows they have back and forth and better just run trains uh, straight away at designated times. But certainly, um, you know, capacity they put in the railroad, longer sidings, uh, CTC through the whole route that they have, uh, KCS has already put in place, those would create some of the bottlenecks. They have their dispatching center uh, within the spring UP office, uh, their quarter managers. So that helps with some, uh, communication for sure. Now, how about with, uh, with Norfolk Southern? There's, there's the Meridian Speedway, which is kind of a joint operation. And also uh, to get uh, on the eastern side of your network, to get from Canada into the U.S., you've got a, you have a, a trackage rights over, over a portion of Norfolk Southern. How do you see that shaping up? Um, so, we, yeah, we do have trackage rights across Norfolk Southern. We also have all the rights across the CSX as well. So mm-hmm. they actually crew our trains up for the three districts. We crew ours up for two districts. And uh, certainly just continue to work with Norfolk Southern to get across the railroad. Um, I mean, we've got a good relationship today. We um, originate out of Bensonville. We terminate Detroit so we can get through those uh, get through those areas pretty quick today. So communication is not an issue. I mean, it's just really just working together to understand traffic flows and increase business if that's what we have. So you don't foresee any, uh, any issues coming up. It should be a fairly smooth uh, transition then. You bet. I mean, it's just, it's just working together and operating the uh, service plans and communicating with each other. So we understand what expectations are. Operationally, it doesn't seem to be any more complex. Putting CP and KCS together, it doesn't seem to be any more, and any, you're not adding any complexity. You're taking, you're taking it out of the mix. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, again, you know, we operate together at Kansas City. I mean, we are working with each other every day. It does, it's not like we don't know each other. We do. Um, what we would create here is really just how do you run through that terminal with some of the, the trains that need to run through. There will always be local business in Kansas City there will always be interchange just due to the fact and nature of the importance of Kansas City. But again, I mean, it's moving grain through the terminal. It's moving some of the crude oil trains, uh, DRU that we have back and forth and just working closer together, right size and locomotives, right size and the assets as our foundations call for. But it's, it's those type of things building upon what the, uh, the synergies they've created with, with PSR and us learning as well. I mean, we don't, uh, we have to keep an open mind as well because they're going to teach us some stuff like we'll, we'll teach them. So you're, you're both uh, PSR railroads uh, uh, and uh, there is uh, probably a little bit of a difference between, uh, between the, uh, how each railroad operates. So uh, what are some of the things you'd be addressing in terms of uh, PSR operations to try to blend them into a whole? Uh, part of it would be train size. I mean, we'd want to take a look at um, some of the train size they have in locations. I mean, we run 200-car trains. I'm, I don't think KCS has gotten that big yet. Uh, there are some locations where it would make sense on their railroad. We just need to rationalize siding lengths. Um, and again, Bill, it'll be a journey to, to get there and right-size the asset. But the uh, fact is, is we can, you know, we run 224s to Thunder Bay out of Winnipeg. So there's opportunities um, you know, across the railroad that we could do. We can certainly take a look at locomotive sizes, um, fuel efficiencies. Uh, there's opportunity with fuel efficiency on KCS, and certainly we can learn as well. Um, they run through the mountains down in Mexico, just like we do in uh, Canada, and just creating that uh, collaboration uh, network of each other so we can live and um, 
lead off of each other. So then you, you'd be able to, uh, to accomplish some, uh, some blending of the, of the locomotive fleet, uh, maybe take the best of each fleet. And as you said, rationalize the fleet. Absolutely. And then, you know, the second part, the part is just the, uh, the car supply we have for each other, just turning the asset as far as uh, freight cars, uh, box cars, whatever it may be. I mean, sometimes we don't send our, our equipment offline just due to the fact it's an interchange and it's a switch offline and we can lose the asset. And, and this, you know, you got a, you got a Texas market that we can come out of the Western Canada and uh, spot in, in and around Dallas and certainly get our fleet back to uh, Canada you know, based upon one carrier, one railroad. So we know we can turn our assets. How will the uh, dispatching uh, pan out? Uh, we, what, what, what are your plans for, uh, will, will the dispatching essentially remain uh, as it is today? Or, or do you see maybe blending dispatching centers or, or at least building some redundancy into, into your dispatching centers where you can control the entire railroad from one location as a lot of, you know, for any location, I should say. So, so yeah. So, you know, Monterey is the dispatch office for Mexico. Mm-hmm. Certainly a lot of reasons why, I mean, uh, Spanish speaking. So we would keep, uh, certainly keep that in, in play in Monterey. Uh, really the, um, the, the place of synergy would be between Minneapolis and Kansas city. And if we're going to, we're going to keep that uh, head office in Kansas city. So we would end up moving those dispatchers down to, um, uh, Kansas City and, and build within that operating center. Of course, Calgary would stay just due to the fact right. that they're going to dispatch the Calgary or the uh, Canadian Railroad. Mm-hmm. John, uh, ports, that's a growth area for, for the industry. Uh, a lot of port development. Uh, is, can you talk a little bit about some of the opportunities there on the, uh, the port side, the ocean going side? Absolutely, Bill. It's an area we're, we're excited about. I think the uh, the thought of, you know, taking CP from a, basically a, a West Coast Canada only port option to recently our acquisition of the CS, you know, CMQ that gave us uh, sort of reintroduction into Atlantic Canada. So really now stretching our franchise coast to coast, east to west across Canada, and now blending in access to, to Mobile, access to, to New Orleans, access to, you know, into the Texas Gulf. <clears throat> and, and then, you know, um, the, the synergies of now linking how you think about those imports into Lazaro Cardenas and, and also the Port of Veracruz. Um, really, again, sort of it gives us this USMCA port network that would be, that'd be unmatchable. Um, and, and, and Bill, there's a lot of synergies between um, some of the major steamship operators, uh, port terminal operators, and, and customers <clears throat> that, that use these ports, but then also, uh, you know, our, our good customers of CP, which we're doing business with in, in Vancouver, and, and we'll be doing business with in, in Port of Montreal, and, and also the Port of St. John. So uh, I think there's a, uh, from an international or intermodal standpoint, Port opportunity is is tremendous, and you know maybe just another comment on on customers. Um, we've we've had a tremendous level of support, and I, I I think largely driven by we've got no overlap in our combination, and and it so it is is truly what I consider a a customer friendly merger between these in these companies and and you know specifically when i look at other combinations and and certainly the potential cn combinations it's undisputable that there are competitive levels that are going to decline in some pretty major areas and, and i and like st louis comes to mind it's it's indisputable that you know an independent cn were successful an independent kcs in the in in the St. Louis, East St. Louis, Sage, uh, you know, all those customers, I, I I think truly would suffer a decline in competition. And and I think again, that's back to Keith's comments. It's what makes our combination so unique. You know, I, I think another yeah. point, Bill, we need to make relative to the ports and the strength of our port network is our ability uniquely to partner with capacity that we have available in our inland terminals. You know, it doesn't do a lot of good to discharge 
freight on the port, whether it's West Coast, East Coast, Southwest Coast, if you can't take it inland to where those terminals are, to where that freight is destined to go, if you can't deramp it when it arrives and be able to process your customer in a very efficient manner in and out the gate, uh, then you really don't have a product that allows for profitable, sustainable growth. And in our unique footprint, we have space in Vancouver to expand in. We have space in Calgary. We have space in Winnipeg. We have space in Toronto. We have space in Montreal. We have space like no one else has in Chicago. Uh, you think about the power of that to be able to grow with the port and handle that growth in a very efficient manner inland. That's essential to really unlocking the value, the reliable supply chain value for your shippers, for your customers. If you can't do both, then you run into problems. You run into empty promises and commitments and hurt feelings and, and adversely impacted value propositions for your customer, which is not something that our railroad, uh, that we would enable or make possible for our customers. In fact, we prided ourselves in making sure we avoided overcommitting, overselling our capacity, you know, promising the sun, the moon, and the stars to the customer just to get them to bring revenue to our railroad and then not delivering and compromising their integrity, their ability to succeed in their marketplaces. So again, I think that's a unique value proposition when it comes to the port play and the intermodal play that we uniquely offer in partnership with the KCS that benefits the customer, benefits commerce, benefits all stakeholders. CP has the best on-time performance for Amtrak. Have you had any discussions with, with either Amtrak or, or Via Rail or some of the commuter rail agencies like uh, 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 Metrolinx? Uh, what, what, are, what is your message to them as far as uh, han handling passenger trains and maybe, maybe even accommodating a little growth in, in the passenger business? Let's start with a message. You know, we believe in committing to our customers what we're capable of doing and doing what we say we're going to do. And in each of those spaces, you know, this has not always been historically the case. Prior to our focus on reinventing the Canadian Pacific Railroad and implementing precision scheduled railroading, I would argue that the relationships were strained. I would argue that the service was erratic uh, and they would not have considered us partners. Uh, we would have been a necessary service evil, I guess, for the lack of a better term. But over the past six, seven years, uh, and especially if you think about Amtrak, not because we say so, but because the report card reflects so, we've been the leading service provider from an on-time standpoint for the past five years running. Uh, and it was because we committed to partnership. You know, they're a customer. They're a partner. It's, it's part of our plan. It's part of our capacity. Now, when it comes to mixing Passenger trains and freight trains, we all understand that passenger trains, because they move so fast so quickly, uh, consume, especially in a freight network, uh, a lot of capacity. Uh, so that planning has to be carefully, that capacity, when you add more train frequencies, has to be thought out very carefully. Uh, so we have never said no, um, just to say no. We approach it from a very responsible standpoint that said, if we do it, we need to understand what the implications are to your service as well as to our other customer service, our other business partners. And if strategic investment has to be made for us to realize additional frequencies, we'll enter into those discussions with you. Uh, so I think that's the right approach. I think that um, our partners have appreciated over the years and that will be our commitment going forward. If we can create additional capacities, uh, allow them more frequencies, uh, that are reliable and don't impede upon our ability to maintain balance and commitments across our entire customer base, then we're going to be open-minded and enter into those discussions. If we can't, then we're going to be honest about it and say why we can't uh, and, and have a frank, transparent, honest discussion, which again, perhaps they may not like that answer in a particular situation, but I think they would respect the honesty and the transparency as opposed to the alternative, which is just say no or even worse, say yes, and then you can't deliver. I, I would just an observation on my part. I, I would think that uh, you know, with the the uh, renewed focus on the environment uh, in in the U.S. as well as in Canada, uh, there there are there, there is a call for more passenger service. But I but I would hope that the uh, those who are calling for more services uh, 
recognize the also recognize the uh, how critical the freight rail network is and are willing to make the investment. You know, if if it means adding capacity, you know, uh, those investments have those investments have to come for the most part from the from the passenger side. That's just my my personal opinion, but I've heard it around the industry. Uh, yeah, I think Bill, I agree that the key is being able to have honest, transparent discussion and explaining the whys. And that's why I think it's so critically important that we maintain our credibility, that we're, we're men and women of our word. We're not unreasonable, we're reasonable. We're just supplying good, sound business practice and principle. We're pretty good railroaders. We all can coexist here, but there has to be a balance when it comes to decisions about allocating capacity so that we can satisfy all of our stakeholders, not serve one to the detriment of all others. I remember a comment uh, Hunter Harrison made to me many years ago uh, where he said, oh, heck, we can run those pasture trains better than, uh, better than the government. <laughs> and he was probably right <laughs> to some well, extent. Listen, I'm, I'll let them crew them and we'll dispatch yeah. them, the ones that we're partnering with on our railroad, that's for sure. Okay, fair enough. You know what, I think there's one concept that, that's critically important for people to focus on. You know, we've got a lot of narrative and back and forth and discussions of, about pro my case and pro their case. Um, you know, if you really boil this thing down to what our combination and what our proposed transaction represents, it's about creating more optionality for customers. It's about creating more competition uh, for our customers. Uh, it's about creating more jobs for our employees. It's about taking trucks off the road and putting them on rail. And it's about doing it in a way that we minimize any adverse impacts. Uh, so to be able to do that in a very unique way, to be able to combine two great companies to form a greater company that otherwise would not be possible. And when I say a greater company that otherwise not be possible, I'm talking about the additional investment that it unlocks. You, you've got two networks that are, you know, we're doing well with what we have, but it's not the combined line or routes potential because you don't have the density or the investment uh, economics to, to put more steel in, to put more ties and ballast in the ground, to increase efficiency, track speed, CTC, all those things that density allows you to create uh, that otherwise, if we get this approved, we will have that to be able to do that. And then I think about you know, why does that matter to other than just CP? Well, why it matters other than the obvious for the customers and our employees, uh, it matters to the nation, Bill. You, you think about rail infrastructure, we all would agree that you're not going to build new railroads. Um, you know, we're landlocked. You can make all the cases for and against, but the reality is the barrier to do that is great. Uh, the hurdle, I think, is insurmountable. I think we've got to do more with what we have. Uh, to have something that allows more to be created from a national network standpoint, a public transportation standpoint, so that you have two parallel lines that run through the Midwest that because of our unique investment that our deal unlocks, allows two thriving networks to create additional capacity and competition and create parity for customers, parity for commerce, uh, and not put all of our eggs in one basket, I think is compelling. You know, to, to have a network that's created that allows that as an outcome that's pro-competition, pro-service, pro-investment, pro-growth, uh, pro-environment. Again, I know that word is unique. The, the word matters. The facts matter. And in our case, the facts prove out the uniqueness of it and the value creation across the board. And, you know, just if you think about, think about from a picture, visualize two high-speed, highly efficient, effective, reliable networks that are 400 miles apart that connect Canada to the U.S. and to the Gulf, that's pretty compelling, as opposed to the alternative where it might be one that's maximized and one that's minimized. And the opportunity for that capacity and competition and service options for customers did not exist. Uh, that'd be a shame for that to occur, and I think ultimately the facts are gonna prove that out. It's not rhetoric, it's truth. It's undeniable facts. And I'm a guy that gets into the truth and gets into the fact, the facts matter. And trust me on this one, I really think that's where this thing is gonna end because it is truly in all stakeholders' best interest. 
your short line and regional railroad partners, of course, they're an important part of this. Uh, what, what's your, your sense of uh, how, how, how they view this, uh, this combination? Because they're, they're, they're critically important. They're the, in many cases, they're the first mile and, and the last mile. Yeah, they, they've had, uh, again, if we get to the facts and you look at all the letters of support, the short lines overall have overwhelmingly came out in support of our transaction. Um, I think that speaks miles. You know, we have enjoyed an, an investment into our partnerships with our short lines to help them grow and thrive because, quite frankly, our network, um, we were limited in reach when we had to compete. So how do you compete? You partner. And with those short lines, it allowed us to extend our reach and our optionality for our customers. So by default and by nature and the strength of those partnerships that have been established as we are able to create a more efficient network that creates and reaches new markets, they, in ex exchange, get to benefit from that as well. And that's why we've had the support that we've had. Bill, the, the, these short lines are no different than shippers uh, that are going to go from two to one or three to two or or five to four in terms of losing options they don't want to lose options um you I, i've got a short line background your life bread was being able to work with as many other railroads as possible to create that that optionality and and, and grow your business and, and and i can tell you these these short line and regional railroads feel exactly the same way that a number of these key shippers and feel that they want an end-to-end -end combination that can create that optionality in new markets. And anything less, Bill, and, and, and whether it be a, the, the CN proposed transaction or any other transaction out there risks the health, I believe, of, of some of these short lines um, because they no different than a uh, transloader I talked to the other day down at the Port of New Orleans. You know, he, he's going to lose an option. They, they feel the same way, and, and, and they're excited about the markets, as Keith said, that, that ultimately we can enable. Mark, from, uh, from an operational standpoint, uh, just, just jumping off on what, uh, what John said, it seems as though for the, uh, for the smaller, you know, the Class 2 and Class 3 railroads, it actually might, might make things a little, uh, little easier for them in terms of the end-to-end you know, -end connections for their, for their uh their clientele, their customers. Well, well, again, I mean, I think John said about the translator New Orleans. I mean, he's not losing anything. He's extending his reach is mm -hmm. what he can extend into Canada. And if you take it any, if you look at any of the short lines on uh, KCS, it's the, it's the same principle. I mean, it's not that, uh, it's not that switch or that connection in Kansas city. It's not that switch or, or somewhere else. They can actually put it on a train and we can move it to Canada, Minneapolis, wherever, wherever it may be going. Uh, so it's certainly an extension to uh, help support the, uh, the short lines. Well, that concludes this edition of Rail Group On Air, and I'd like to thank Keith Creel, Mark Red, and John Brooks for joining me. Now, as you know, the news is always fluid, and uh, things have gotten a bit more fluid. As we were putting this together on May 13th, the Kansas City Southern Board of Directors announced that it had determined CN's counter-proposal to CP's initial offer, a, quote, company superior proposal. Now, by no means is this a definitive outcome. There's still a ways to go. And this rather interesting story, which we've been covering for almost two months, may take yet another twist. We just don't know. We've got all the details on the latest turn in this story on our website. Stay tuned. Many thanks to our sponsor for this podcast, Trinity Rail, the premier provider of rail transportation products and services. With rail car leasing, manufacturing, maintenance parts, and innovative services such as Trinsite, Trinity Rail provides solutions to meet any need. Call 1-800-631-4420 or go to www.trinityrail.com for more information. Trinity Rail is built to deliver. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. I always say have a safe day, but uh, to this particular podcast with uh, the interesting twist that just happened, we live in interesting times, and I think they're going to get even more interesting. Take care, everybody.
Our sponsor for this podcast has been Trinity Rail, the premier provider of rail transportation products and services. With rail car leasing, manufacturing, maintenance, parts, and innovative services such as Trinsight, Trinity Rail provides solutions to meet any need. Call 1-800-631-4420 or go to www.trinityrail.com for more information. Trinity Rail is built to deliver. This is Railway Age Editor-in-Chief William C. Vantuono. Have a safe day.